This program is a paid commercial announcement from Jacob Media Partners and does not reflect the views of WPHT or its management. Your radio doctor does not recommend or endorse any specific tests, physicians, products, procedures, opinions, or other information that may be mentioned on your radio doctor. Always consult your own physician. Today's program has been pre-recorded. When it comes to my health care, I want choices, like more doctors and hospitals, so I get to see who I want. With Independence Blue Cross, I don't have to compromise when it comes to my care. Independence makes it easy. Their online tools help me manage my plan and even keep my health on track with programs designed for my well-being. And with free 24-7 virtual doctor visits, I get easy access to care when I need it, saving me time. Open enrollment ends on January 15th. Enroll today at ibx.com. Talk Radio 1210, WPHT, WPHT, HD, WOGL, HD3, Philadelphia. From the Cherry Hill Volvo Studios, where relationships matter. In Odyssey Station, it's time for the Delaware Valley's first radio doctor. On call every Sunday morning at 10. This is your radio doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross. Listen, seven months or 10 months is an absolutely exceptional, exceptionally short time frame to produce this vaccine. Your health determines your life, your longevity, and your happiness. Let your radio doctor lead the way with your medical education. Your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Good morning and welcome on this last Sunday in January, and it's an anniversary show for your radio doctor. I'm your host, Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Today marks two years that your radio doctor has been on the air, so I thank you for listening, and I feel very fortunate to host the only all-medical talk radio show in the greater Philadelphia region. Season 3 will begin in two weeks. We'll be moving to a new day and a new time, Saturday evenings at 5 o'clock, reaching out to an even broader audience. Remember, you'll still be able to hear any of our shows on yourradiodoctor.com. You'll hear more about the new show later in this broadcast. Today, we have a very special guest. He'll talk about occupational and environmental medicine. Dr. Ken Lankin from Thomas Jefferson University Hospital, where he is the Enterprise Medical Director of the Occupational Health Network. Translated, he oversees the care for all of the Jefferson employees and students, over 40,000 people. Dr. Lankin is an MD, but also holds master's degrees in public health and business administration. Rich experience as the Associate Corporate Medical Director for J.P. Morgan, where he developed policy for 29 health and wellness clinics across the United States. He's been an instructor at Johns Hopkins and Yale. He was recognized by the U.S. Navy with the Surgeon General Blue H Award for his work in in the Annapolis region, overseeing seven clinics in three states. He has served in Peru, Antarctica, the ship's doctor in Japan, and a preventative medicine liaison to the Minister of Public Health in Afghanistan. Welcome, Ken. Great to have you. Well, thanks, Marianne. I really appreciate the introduction, and I'm very excited excited to be here, especially on your two-year anniversary show. I, I, I should have brought some cake and candles. Yeah, well, I have my party hat on, so we're good. But I, I have to say before we begin, a massive thank you for your service. Over 25 years in the Navy, that speaks volumes about your generosity, dedication, and discipline. So we all thank you. Thank you. Very kind of you to say. And uh, it was a privilege to serve. And uh, very grateful for, quite frankly, the opportunity to serve and the, and the training and experience that, that uh, being in the service afforded. Well, I hope I did you justice in explaining your background. So can occupational medicine 
how did that first begin? And can you tell us a little bit about its evolution? Absolutely. Um, <clears throat> so most often occupational medicine is defined as the specialty, the medical specialty that is focused uh, rather than on an individual person, but it's focused on the uh, prevention and treatment of illness and injury in the workplace. And I also want to put some emphasis on prevention. Um, how it started, I think, is a, is a matter of uh, somewhat speculation. I think classically within the profession, um, academics look to uh, Dr. Ramazzini in the 1500s in, in Italy, who, who was concerned about the various um, medical conditions that were found commonly among uh, various uh, people in various occupations. He noticed that, for example, uh, bakers would have arthritis from kneading the bread over time. Uh, miners would have respiratory issues. And could there be some way of uh, not only just identifying, but perhaps uh, I intervening? How it really got started was probably thousands of years before that, because um, we talk a lot these days about having on-site clinics or near-site clinics for not only hospitals, but for businesses. A lot of uh, forward-thinking Fortune 500 companies and other companies uh, actually have their own medical departments to take care of their uh, employees. But I think the original on-site clinics were in the military. So I don't know when, when that was, whether it was Romans or Greeks. They clearly had uh, physicians that traveled uh, with military units to render care uh, at the scene where the work was happening, if you will. Uh, in a more modern age, I would say that occupational medicine is really an, out, an offshoot of what, um, really until uh, probably just sometime after World War II, was referred to as industrial medicine. So it really grew out of um, the railroads and uh, the rapid growth of railroads in the United States and understanding that that was dangerous work and that people got injured, people got sick, and that there was it was worth investing. Uh, the railroads found that it was worth investing to have their own doctors and their own clinics. And then that rapidly involved into other areas of, of industry, but particularly heavy industry, uh, oil, uh, manufacturing, and that sort of classical uh, occupational medicine tended mm -hmm. to be industrial. But I would say in, in the more modern age, maybe within the last 20 years, um, other forward-thinking companies have said, wait a minute, maybe health care isn't just a cost to be lessened, but maybe health care is something we could invest in. Maybe it's an investment, just like when you buy a property. Or if you buy new technology, sure, it costs money, but isn't there a return? And so, so we see that, I think, within the last 20 years or so, a burgeoning of companies in the financial world, companies in um, communications, uh, and even very what we think of as very modern uh, techie companies, but uh, companies like uh, Amazon and Google and CVS uh, have their own uh, corporate medical uh, entity, uh, which one could argue is a part of occupational and environmental medicine. 
Oh, so what's good about it is you're no longer just reacting or companies are no longer just reacting when somebody has a slip and fall or an injury at work. They're saying, hey, we noticed that people who handle luggage or people that work on this part of the assembly line, there's a recurrent pattern of this or that injury. So we're going to take steps to prevent it by doing periodic checks or whatever it takes to keep the workforce there. So in essence, you sort of have a difficult job because you're working for the company, you're working for the man, uh, keeping the workforce in place, but you have to balance your position as the advocate speaking on behalf of the worker who's now your patient, either with illness or injury. So how do you decide when it's safe for the worker, now your patient, to return to the workplace uh, and modify their work duties? And we could go on into after the break, but I thought that was a good way to start. Yeah, that's a great way to start. Um, I, I, I think I think the answer to that really it's, it, it it all falls in context. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned luggage because I also fi- forgot to mention trans the, the transportation industry as a whole is also a, a great place. Um, you know, you gave the example of baggage handling, for example, uh, but uh, aviators. How you decide to to return someone to work, the first thing is to ask the classical question, which I think gets left off as physicians when we talk to people. What do you do? What is your job? And not Mm -hmm. only what is your job, but how how does your job, how are you working? Um, Because... um, say even something like nursing it's it's a different experience if you're in a trauma unit or if you're in a research area or you're working with uh highly immunocompromised uh people um uh truck drivers there's different kinds of truck drivers so it's 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 really a matter of what is it that the person does um and i i think another classical example is is a musician so many great examples ken Let's take a little break and we'll be right back with Dr. Ken Lankin from Jefferson. Thanks for listening to Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie, exclusively presented by Independence Blue Cross. If you have a question for the medical mailbag, just send a note to doctor at yourradiodoctor.net. Welcome back. We're here with Dr. Ken Lankin talking about occupational and environmental medicine. It's it's a broader term than just uh occupational medicine and care in the workplace. Ken, we were talking about different examples. You offer a very broad scope of services. Uh, It's, I guess, examining people for pre-employment physicals or if they're hurt or they become sick uh, in the workplace. So prevention is a big part of your service. Um, Talking about disability, if somebody is hurt, you spend a lot of time educating, especially if you have 40,000 patients that you're serving and research. So tell us, we were talking about different examples of people getting, um, needing service or care in the workplace. Sure. There's all kinds of uh, people and it depends on, on the workplace. Um, I was just giving, you know, one example for, uh, musicians just in terms of what, what looking at the context, say if somebody actually lost a finger and they're a piccolo player well that could be catastrophic but if they play the drums Mm -hmm. maybe it doesn't matter so much so when we look at injuries we have to look at you know very carefully at at at, at what they do Mm -hmm. and i guess in terms of clinical care you're a primary care doctor and you have to be prepared for anything are there there 
bigger categories, I guess you interface most often, uh, maybe because of musculoskeletal injuries, you interface with orthopedic surgeons or medical orthopedic um, providers because somebody might have a repetitive use injury like carpal tunnel if they repeat the same function a lot or even at these days we're all using a keyboard a lot fractures amputations back and neck injuries lifting we talked about if they're moving heavy objects like luggage or whatever what are the most common maybe workplace ergonomic issues that you see well, I think you hit the nail on the head. I did actually pull uh, my uh, amazing staff uh, before the show just to double check. And uh, they, in fact, uh, uh, confirmed uh, uh, Dr. Kimberly Bowman and Dr. Sarah Magnano. I'm sorry, I'm probably butchering her name a little bit. But uh, musculoskeletal is certainly at the, at the top of the list. Sprains, strains, back injuries, slips, falls. Because ultimately, healthcare. Uh, is is a lot of movement. It's moving patients. It's moving equipment. It's moving um, all, all kinds of things. So there's always a risk for uh, getting a musculoskeletal injury, whether it's a neck, back, uh, shoulder, foot, knee, fall. Uh, even being in the operating room, it's really stressful. People don't really think about, for example, let's say uh, uh, somebody doing a long surgery. Uh, it's, it's intense mentally, but it's also physically quite demanding. I remember several years ago, I was helping to hold a patient on her side when we were starting a case, and I kind of just hyperextended my knees, not for fun, not for attention, but I, I tore my meniscus, and I thought, how hard was that to do? That was just silly. How did that happen? But we're trying, we're focusing on the patient, and you say, okay, I can hold a little more, a little longer. You're right, that, that focus is intense. And then... In all workplaces, uh, infectious diseases can be transmitted. You're covering hospital employees now, so we worry about needle sticks or just in general exposure to body fluids that if we're changing a bedpan or uh, there's a cloth or bandage that has blood, tell us a little bit about that. Sure. So uh, there's all kinds of, um, aside from physical exposures, um, exposures the number one i would say is probably needle sticks because that's a that's a, an embedded occupational injury um in in the healthcare uh setting um we have uh we also have lab exposures because of mm. people not only we having our own labs but we also have research laboratories as well and so there's always the opportunity to have exposures um with that whether it's inhalation or fumes or aerosolized medications um, sadly, uh, uh, there's eye injuries, as you mentioned, because of splashes or physical mm -hmm. injuries. Uh, you can get hit in the eye just with a piece of paper, and it could really uh, mess somebody up. And then sadly, um, we do have to recognize that our healthcare workers are at the receiving end of a lot of um, people that are angry. And so we do have assault. Unfortunately, whether it's the emergency room or security guards, um, and then the, I would say there's mental health injury as well. I mean, we, we have to realize how hard it is for. Uh, and when I say healthcare worker, it could be anybody. It could be the registrar, it could be the nurse, a physician, a unit clerk. I, and I do know this from the military uh, because it's not necessarily just the people who have experienced the trauma, but it's the people who have to work with those who are 
uh, traumatized. Yes. And if somebody's been sedated and they wake up and they're disoriented, then and they can become uh, agitated or aggressive, and that's not their usual personality. But you're right, we do have to be prepared for that. And my gosh, poor you, right now with COVID, you also, for the general staff and medical students, you're coordinating vaccinations. Uh, you have to supply us with the proper uh, masks. They have to be fitted. And I'm sure that people come to the office when they think they have COVID. Tell us a little about that. Sure. Well, I, I'm, I'm, uh, I, actually, it's not poor me. It'd be poor me if it was just me. But uh, thankfully, um, um, I, I get to be part of a very large team, very multidisciplinary team. Uh, that includes a lot of uh, a lot of people, um, whether they're clinicians, nurses, uh, people in uh, supply, HR. Um, but the team, I think, all hospital systems have been very stretched and stressed in terms of working uh, to help uh, isolate, help employees um, who've had exposures, uh, helping them to understand uh, when and how they should isolate. Uh, particularly as the rules for these things just keep changing. Uh, mm. So it's very challenging from that aspect. Uh, but uh, again, I'm just very grateful, uh, quite frankly, that it's not just me. We have an enormous and highly dedicated team and, and, and even volunteers. We've actually had some student uh, uh, students recruited to help manage the, uh, the hotline. Well, I guess, too, um, would trying to figure out what uh, cleaning supplies are necessary to really sterilize a surface in the hospital setting. Does that fall under your uh, policy making as well, to a degree? Yeah, uh, it, it, it does. Um, I, I came to Jefferson later in, in, in the pandemic. Uh, I guess that's now a new historical reference. Mm -hmm. um, but earlier in the pandemic, uh, in my previous um, role working for a financial corporation, Absolutely, it was so critical because we didn't know what we were dealing with. Sure, and, sure. And 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 it's important not, uh, because uh, if you're ordering something that doesn't work, uh, then it's a waste of time. Right. And to that point, one also has to know about regulations. So that's part of it. Occupational medicine. Oh. So, for example, in different countries, different they have different rules as to what an acceptable hand, uh, hand sanitizer is, and what's acceptable hand sanitizer in Delaware might not be acceptable in Hong Kong. And not just that, you're currently in a hospital setting with employees and students and all, but I'm sure cases you see here at Jeff are different from those you saw when you uh, were directing the policy at a military base or at a JP Morgan in an industrial. So I'm sure to a degree, the quantity of certain types of injury or transmittable illness were different, yeah? Yeah, ab 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 absolutely different. Um, because healthcare workers actually have a double uh, a, a, a double opportunity for exposure, if you will. Uh, a, they have the exposures of just their own work and, and what they're handling, uh, but then there's the additional uh, exposure to people who are uh, ill and have uh, infectious and transmittable diseases, COVID being at the top of the list these last couple of years. Well, you have to hope that we're looking for silver linings in any tra tragedy. And 
I, th I hope that even though there are days that are 12 hours long instead of that we're wearing masks and we go home with indentations in our faces and such, that people are becoming more conscious about washing their hands for at least 20 seconds. I mean, across the universe, not just medical care workers and providers. And people are a little less uh, unwilling to wear masks if they're in an environment that we're getting used to that. I don't mean forever, but in the appropriate settings. So let's say you have a patient who does have an orthopedic injury. You might follow them for a little while. And then at what point would you say you have to go see an orthopedic surgeon? Are there metrics that you watch for that? Yes. Well, once again, I think it's 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 on a case by case basis. But I think mm -hmm. it's um, depending on what the injury uh, is uh, has to do with, is you know is it is the employee able to make progress through doing the simple steps first, right? Uh, rest, elevation, getting away from the, whatever uh, the offending activity is. And then if it's just Makes not sense. getting better, then it's time to ratchet up to, to orthopedic surgery. because that they sense. Because they might need an operation. Sure, sure. We're learning so much from Dr. Ken Lankin. Let's take a little break and we'll be right back with more on occupational medicine. Today's edition of Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie, presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross, can be enjoyed anytime, anywhere, at your convenience. Just download the Odyssey app and search Your Radio Doctor. It's health education on demand. And welcome back to Your Radio Doctor. Our guest today is Dr. Ken Lankin. We are learning so much about occupational and environmental medicine, although some of our listeners might recognize it as employee health. But it's important to know if your company has it. I would think most people have some access to care or a medical clinic nearby. Ken, we were talking about all the ways that you are interfacing with people in a very complex infrastructure that includes HR, and if a person has reason to be out of work, there are guidelines to when that person can return. Um, have they recovered from their injury? Can they come back with uh, an altered schedule until they gradually return? You interface with legal, senior management, <clears throat> worker, workers' comp. Uh, you have to know all, as you say, depending what state you're in, um, government regulatory agencies, labor unions, all those issues that um, make your job fascinating but uh, complex. I didn't even think about the public health policies as well. Yeah, no, that's absolutely right. And, and I think uh, it's exciting. And in some ways, I feel uh, related to perhaps radiology or pathology. I don't think individual people refer themselves to pathologists. But, but, but physicians refer themselves to cases, and that's what we're there for. And instead of our customer, our internal client is not only the employee, but we also serve as internal consultants uh, for all these other um, uh, agencies within any organization, uh, whether it's um, sure. leadership, operations, supply, mm. Uh, mm. security, Good point. And you're almost like a sports medicine doctor. You're trying to protect the injured player, huh. but the team's like, get him back in the game. And, and you're the arbitrator and uh, looking out for both sides. So drug testing, I'm sure that comes up. Is that part of your purview? And when is an employee asked to be tested if they appear impaired at the workplace? Or could you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. 
Um, I think a lot of companies have uh, a pre-employment drug testing uh, uh, program. Uh, not all, but the more safety sensitive the type of work, the more likely it is. Um, and then there's some uh, professions where it, it is actually mandated, whether if it particularly, excuse me, in in uh, transportation, as which would make sense. Mm-hmm. Even people who um, are really uh, don't feel that drugs are bad uh, don't want their pilot to uh, be impaired while they're flying the, the plane. So. Um, we, uh, and I would also say that most organizations have the right to uh, to test people, not just in the pre-employment program, but if someone's acting strangely at work or if there's an accident, particularly at transportation, someone drives a truck into a wall, why did that happen? Did the person pass out? Did they have a blood pressure problem? Or maybe they were, there were drugs involved. Mm-hmm. Good point. Or a school bus driver. Uh Ken, you mentioned a term I thought was fascinating the other day, industrial hygiene. What do you mean by that? Well, that's a great question. Industrial hygiene is um, the scientific uh, cousins uh, within our field. Uh, They are professionals who are trained uh, specifically to look at hazards, environmental hazards um, in the workplace. That could be water quality, air quality, ergonomics. Um, and particularly in this era of COVID, uh, they are the experts in, in, in sub areas such as uh, ventilation, uh, which is very so critical uh, during this pandemic. Isn't that actually when we harken back to 1976 in Philadelphia, Legionnaires, they thought that Legionella was transmitted through the hotel where it all happened? Right. Uh, through the vents, the air conditioning vents. And, and people forget that. You know, we're, we're so used to the luxury of. Uh, well, heat's not a luxury, but air conditioning, um, that's something you have to think about. It's its fascinating, really. And I know you mentioned safety and security are a big part of your work. So again, if, so, if you notice a recurrent problem, like, boy, that one staircase, we're going to make sure the anti-slip mats are there or the elevators are, I'm sure that all those things, as you see things happen, you implement plans to prevent them from happening again. Absolutely. And again, it's just it's a pleasure and an honor to work with so many different kind of uh, specialists and professionals and safety uh, professionals do that. Um, But we don't work in bubbles and vacuums. And uh, just uh, an example from from the military, I think I can say say. But uh, there was a situation where we were noticing a lot of shoulder injuries among uh, uh, some industrial workers. They were actually laundry workers. And uh, we went to visit the site. That's another thing that occupational medicine doctors do. They go, they not only work at the workplace, but they go to the workplace to see what's going on. And what was going on was that the workers had to pull these heavy laundry bags off of a, uh, a shelf that was really high. And, and, and the question was raised, well, what would happen if you lower the shelf, right? Would that help and not strain your shoulder? Mm-hmm. And the answer was, well... We, we, we asked for that for years, and, and it was always felt to be too expensive. So we just did a little bit of, uh, you know, napkin math and went back to the management, and they confirmed that it was expensive. It was going to cost them almost $40,000 to put in new shelving. And so we showed them the data, and we said, well, that's interesting, but you're actually paying over $1.2 million uh, for shoulder so shoulder surgery and having people out of work and on disability so exactly uh which the which they pay for 
So it makes perfect sense. Yeah. And, and I think security must be a big part of your work, too, when you're talking not just physical safety, but you must have uh, intelligence that comes to you when there are outbreaks or floods, disaster management. Absolutely. Uh, You know, security, we talk about, we think about physical security. That is one aspect. But we also talk about intelligence security. What's happening in the globe? Is there a hurricane, a storm? Is there civil unrest? These are all things that affect our employees. And so it's fabulous to to, uh, partner with people in the uh, security and intelligence. And I I will say that, quite frankly, that's how I found out about the first six cases in in, uh, Wuhan. Uh, back in December of 19. It was actually from a, uh, a, a young uh, security analyst uh, who gave me the report. Wow, that's incredible. And see, somebody like you, you're just a tapestry of all these different facets. You are the perfect person to be at the, t- at the helm at Jefferson uh, because you have really, as I said earlier, such a rich experience. So prevention is key, and you want to keep the workplace safe and keep the workforce productive. And we talked about ergonomics, uh, infectious diseases like the flu. The, our employee health, our occupational health is great about, we're gonna give out flu shots in the cafeteria or whatever it is that you make it so much easier for all of us to comply. And the education part too, here's how you handle uh, needles. Here's how you dispose of them. We don't want people being stuck and being exposed to HIV or any communicable disease, hepatitis, all those things. And um, I guess it's a big part of your job too, whether it's HIV that we're protecting from, COVID, masks, shields, gloves. Tell us a little about that because I'm sure the supply chain has been a challenge for you. Right. Well, supply chain has been a challenge, I think, for for everybody. But again, I feel very fortunate and blessed in in, in the last two uh, places that I worked to to have uh, just superb professionals that, that know how to uh, anticipate and work well and get things. And I, I just want to also recognize our occupational health nurses uh, because they're the ones who, quite frankly, do most of the uh, not only treatment, but also the education and prevention. They do the outreach, uh, particularly even when we have students or trainees, uh, they're the ones who uh, share their knowledge and experience uh, to help prevent uh, uh, injuries in the workplace. And I'm, I'm so excited to work with you, Ken, because along with prevention of those things we think of as the workplace, your umbrella also includes prevention of cancers. And you're really working hard to encourage staff to get their cancer screenings. We're, we're talking about promoting Pink Plus, the program that I've helped to start that bundles a mammogram with the GYN exam and a chit chat with a GI doc like myself to say, please do something, even if it's a stool test. But that is another way to capture people that say, oh, I'm too busy to see my primary, but maybe I'll pop over that program at, at uh, Occupational Health. Absolutely. We're always, we're always promoting prevention. It's awesome. Let's take a little break and we'll be back for our wrap up with Dr. Ken Lankin. Welcome back to our final segment of Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Ken Lankin. Ken, let's have some good take-home messages for our listeners about occupational and environmental medicine. Sure. Uh, There's just three things that I'd like uh, the listeners to uh, remember. Uh, The first thing is that occupational health professionals are fundamentally there for the protection of the worker 
and the employees and to keep the workplace safe. And I would paraphrase uh, one of the past presidents of the American College of Occupational and Environmental Medicine, Dr. T. Guidotti, who said once that occupational medicine is about values. What do we value as a society, as an organization? And no matter what it is, uh, no matter what the industry is, we always have to value the people that are actually doing the work. The second thing is that occupational medicine also supports the organizations. Occupational medicine supports uh, businesses, enterprises. It is the intersection between medicine and the actual functioning of the business. Um, Dr. Ray Fabius, uh, who is uh, originally from Pennsylvania, uh, actually did some studies to show that stock prices are actually very closely uh, the companies that that have large uh, incorporated health and wellness programs actually do better financially. Interesting. Uh, mm-hmm. you, you could look that. So it's it's exciting because um, yes, we're there to take care of patients, employees, and peoples, but we're also there to help organizations to be successful because that helps everybody. Yes. Um, and then the last thing is, and hopefully uh, you would agree with this, the last uh, message is that we, we want people to take charge of their own health. Uh, we're there to help, but for goodness sake, please take care of yourself. Uh, you know, some people take better care of their cars and their pets than they do themselves. Well said. Um, so yeah. please, you know, get your cholesterol, look at your diet, exercise, colon cancer screening, mammogram, uh, sleep is so important to all those other things, um, and mental health. Whatever it, do, whatever it takes, talking to a friend, uh, turning off the internet or the, you know, be, you know, before midnight or something like that. And then lastly, I would like to mention a website that people could learn more, and that's uh, acom.org. That's A-C- OEM.org. That website again is ACOEM.org. Beautiful. And as you say, Ken, people are not widgets, but you have to keep the company uh, running. Um, and I think, as you say, personal uh, responsibility. In your workplace, Find out tomorrow, if you don't know already, where you would go if your chair collapsed or you had a slip and fall or uh, or your carpal tunnel is kicking in because you're doing repetitive motions. That is your responsibility to find out because uh, you don't want to have an incident and wait three or four days and tell your doctor. You The company is there to help you. And uh, this was just... A beautiful presentation, Ken, and I thank you for that. You're a very busy man, and we appreciate that you took the time to speak with us because we learned a lot. Well, thank you, Marianne. It was a great honor, a, a, a pleasure to, to speak with you, and uh, a thank you for having me on the show. ACOEM.org. Read more about it. Thanks, Ken. Hi. And now for your real champion. I call this segment, My Real Listeners. Before we approach the autumn of our years, 
We all hope to look back and say we lived out our dreams. I'd say my fairy godmother granted my every wish. Number one on my list was to be a mother. I married my true love and was blessed with three children and now grandchildren. But the other special bonus was to become a doctor. I'm always moved to tears when I recall that feeling of gratitude on June 6, 1980, when the Dean of Jefferson Medical College handed me that magnificent diploma and said, congratulations, Dr. Marianne Ritchie. On that day, I recited the Hippocratic Oath for the first time. I promised that all my efforts would focus on my vocation, the call to heal. My advice to young doctors in training includes these points. Number one, we are called to love our patients. People seek our help because they're broken, often frightened. They look to us to make them whole again. At St. Joseph's University, my Jesuit training stressed respect for the whole person, cura personalis. There's a sacred trust between patient and physician. Patients undress physically, emotionally, and spiritually. They share secrets with me that they hold dear. And for some patients, I may be the last face they see before they leave this world. Number two, be humble. When you're having a tough day, remember, each year, 11,000 people apply to Jefferson for med school, and only 265 are accepted, so consider yourself lucky. Be a team player. No one doctor has all the answers. If you can't explain something, confer with colleagues. Learn from each other, and learn from your patients. Three, be a lifelong student. Stay curious. There's always something new to learn. Four, be a good communicator. Listen well and take time to explain details so your patient feels they're truly part of making decisions. Your real champion this week are you, my faithful listeners. I am so grateful to be your radio doctor, the only all medical talk radio show in the greater Philadelphia region. For over 30 years, I've taught medical students, residents, and patients, often one at a time. Now, I can impact thousands each week. My goal? to explain complex medical issues clearly so you can make better decisions for yourself and your loved ones. They say that what you don't know can't hurt you. Well, in medicine, what you don't know can hurt you, and you don't know what you don't know. So I want to be your voice with experts from top medical centers around the country asking questions you might not think to ask. Remember, sometimes I'm a patient too. Today, we celebrate two years of your radio doctor. Our next show will open season three. Great news, we're moving to a new day at a new time. Beginning on February 12th, your radio doctor will air at five o'clock each Saturday evening, adding even more listeners to our audience. Thank you for your emails with great feedback and beautiful messages of support. Being your radio doctor is a labor of love. I'm humbled and grateful that the show brings comfort and wisdom to our audience. Remember, starting on February 12th, every Saturday evening at five o'clock, Listen on the radio or use odyssey.com app to listen on your cell phone, tablet, computer, and listen again at your convenience to all of our shows on yourradiodoctor.com or odyssey.com. I salute you, the faithful listeners of the one, the only, Your Radio Doctor, this week's Your Real Champions. A very special thank you to our exclusive sponsor, Independence Blue Cross, and for support from Rothman Orthopedics and Recovery Centers of America. There's a serious national shortage of blood. Please consider donating. Visit redcross.org. Two special announcements. Ladies, don't let COVID delay your routine cancer screenings. Come to Jefferson for Pink Plus. You can have a GYN exam, mammogram, and pre-colonoscopy consult in one visit. 
Call 1-800-JEFF-NOW. Schedule a visit for Pink Plus. Get two or three cancer screenings in one visit, Wednesday mornings or Thursday afternoons. March is coming. Join the Blue Lights campaign. Add blue lights to the door of your home or business, front desk of your office, a blue porch light. Shine blue lights through March for colon cancer awareness. Colon cancer, common, often deadly, but preventable. Send a photo of your blue lights or a photo of you in blue to info at bluelightscampaign.com. I'm really excited to be moving to Saturday evenings at 5 o'clock beginning on February 12. But I'll miss living next door to Sid Mark and the sounds of Sinatra. So let's add Saturdays with Sinatra every week at 6 o'clock. What do you think, Sid? I could listen to Sid Mark and Frank Sinatra 24 hours a day. Love you, Sydney. This is Dr. Marianne Ritchie, grateful to be your radio doctor. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram. Join me every Saturday evening at 5, beginning on February 12, so I can remind you that your health is your wealth. Thanks for listening to your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie, a Jacob Media production. If you're interested in learning more about the power of the radio hour, contact Joe Kraus at 267-261-3428. This program is a paid commercial announcement and in no way represents the views of WPHT or its management. Today's program has been pre-recorded.